Hey, uh, this morning I, I is is this is uh, church planting Sunday, uh, which is uh, we're a part of a network called Acts Twenty Nine, and so I want to show you a quick video about that, and then we'll uh, we'll get into uh, our passage and talk a little bit about Acts Twenty Nine as well. Let's look at that now. Jesus came near and said to them, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go." Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The heartbeat of Acts 29 is planting and supporting healthy, multiplying churches until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Before the risen Jesus ascended to his Father, he told his followers to go and make disciples, to proclaim Christ, baptize, and teach his commands to all nations. They obeyed their Lord. The gospel light pierced the darkness with eternal hope. Sinners became saints. Outcasts were welcomed. The abandoned were adopted. The saving message of Jesus began to spread far and wide. Jesus established his church. At Acts 29, we believe the church is God's primary mission strategy on earth. So being faithful to the Great Commission's call to make disciples means being passionate about church planting. All of us feel the weight of sin snaking through this world and want to make a difference. There are a million good deeds to do and charities to support. But consider this, whatever cause grips your heart, the church answers it. Churches press into the needs of their communities with gospel hope and practical help. Churches run shelters, serve families, adopt orphans. They pray for the sick and mourn with the bereaved. We send missionaries across the world and also proclaim Christ next door. We see lives transformed by his gospel and for his glory, we make disciples. Ordinary local churches are Christ's extraordinary means of grace to the world. This is why we plant churches today. Acts 29 churches are doing all this and more. Bible teaching churches of spirit-filled disciples all around the world are breaking through sin's darkness with gospel light. As we fulfill the Great Commission by planting more healthy, multiplying churches, Christ advances his kingdom on the earth and people from all tongues and tribes and nations join us in worship of our risen King. This is the beauty of church planting. Nice. Uh, yeah, so we're a part of a network called X29. There's like over 700 churches uh, across the, the world. Um, I think there's uh, 400 in, uh, in the United States, and we are one of those. And so back in uh, 2007, I was a college pastor at a local church here, uh, Salem First Church of the Nazarene. I was, I was, I was not Nazarene uh, theologically. I just got a job there. They're the, the only people that would hire me. So that's, that's the caliber of teaching that you've got going on here right now. So, but uh, I was a college pastor and I, I felt this sense, this urge that like, I, I wanted to see a church that would be planted that would reach this generation. And Nazarene Church has been faithful for, I, was, I met somebody just yesterday on the baseball field. I don't know if you could tell that I was on the baseball field and the sun was over here. So like this side, not so much here or here, but right here, it's red and you can see the line from my sunglasses. But I was on the baseball field 
and met this uh, older woman. She's been there for many years at the Nazarene Church, and so I was telling her about that. And so I was remembering what it was like as I was a, a college pastor at this church, and I was uh, ministering to these uh, students, and then I went and talked to my boss, uh, Dave McGuera, and uh, Jerry Morris, who was the executive pastor at the time, and I said, listen, I, I really feel like God is calling me to go start something, and, uh, and then I went to a conference um, with uh, Passion, uh, Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, those guys. I got a chance to talk to Louis Giglio, and I said, hey, I feel like God's put on my heart uh, to plant a church. And I like, what do you think about that? And he's like, I think you should do it, man. Like, I was like, you don't even know me, but that's awesome. And so he, uh, he, he encouraged me. And then my, my bosses both said, man, if God's called you to this and you don't obey, um, I'm going to kick your behind. And so uh, you've got to go do this, Matt. And I, and I said, okay, great. And they were so generous. And I was so ill-prepared. I was so ill-prepared. I was so arrogant. I was, there were just so many things that I was that, and God was faithful to me to bring amazing people around me um, that were um, guiding that were men that spoke into my life, men and women that spoke into my wife and I's life during that time. And um, God has been faithful. And that was, you know, it's 15 years ago this, uh, this August when we started this. And so it, it, God has been faithful throughout this entire time to continue to grow this church until just this last year. It wasn't last, was it last year? No, year before when we had the fires and I went out to Silverton and I was driving around with a bunch of guys in pickups with gun racks and and a beer between their legs. And I was like, uh, you're driving with a gun rack and a beer between your legs and, and you need Jesus, you know? And I, and I was like, man, somebody's got to plant a church out here because I see a need out here. And so we began ta talking about that. And so then on June 6th, uh, that we finally said, okay, we're gonna plant a church, uh, another location of Outward Church in Silverton. And that happened. And then this last Sunday, Easter Sunday out there, after less than a year, Silverton has three, had 350 people at that location. Like, praise God, right? Hey, we just switched out the lights here and they are so bright, I cannot see you. Can we turn these down just a little bit? Um, I don't think you need to see that much of me. Perfect. Oh, it's just, you know, uh, it's just my complexion. Is it, don't make it too dark if it's, you know, whatever. You have to have it that bright. That's great. But uh, anyway, 350 people out there. People are getting baptized. We have guys that have been in this church for the longest time that have just been like, they've been awesome. Uh, guys and gals. I, we don't want to forget about our, our gals as well, but uh, that have been just serving faithfully that are now serving at a whole nother level because they need that. And so we have guys that were like acting like deacons and now they're becoming more like elders and like, oh, my, my head's gonna explode at the amount of leadership development and the additional community groups and people who are hearing the gospel in ways that they may never have heard before. Guys are coming that drive trucks with gun racks and hopefully not with a beer between their legs to church, but they're coming. And so God has put on our heart not just because we're a part of Acts 29, this is a biblical thing to go and make disciples and that God's vision for uh, ministry, for discipleship happens through the local church. It doesn't mean that it can't happen in parachurch ministries, it just means that the primary means of evangelism is, uh, happens through the local church. And so we wanna make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that go on to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And so that is, that is our goal, that is our vision. That's why we're a part of Acts 29. I'm actually a part of Acts 29 leadership. Um, I'm the Northwest Regional Director, which doesn't mean a ton except for the fact that I'm in charge of a lot of people. And uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, humble brag there, but... Um, 
In any case, yeah, so I'm, I'm over uh, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, hopefully soon Montana as we take over the world with this church planting strategy. We have no churches in Montana for some reason, but we're praying for that, and uh, we're excited about it. There's 38 churches in this, the Northwest region, which is what I'm over, and uh, excited about what God's going to do. It's been a hard season. COVID, all the crud that's happened over the last couple of years, church has totally changed uh, over the, the last couple of years. Let, let me tell you one statistic that's quite interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day. He said, over the last five years, every uh, Easter, they've had about 20 new families that registered uh, to, uh, you know, they check their kids in and so they're, then they're registered at your church. And he said, over the last five years, it's been like 20 people per year. This year, he had two families. I, I, I asked... Uh, I asked our uh, staff to do the same thing, found out the same thing. Two new families checked in kids. Do you know what that means? I have no idea, but here's, here's what I think it means. It means I think our world is becoming more secular. People who used to come to uh, church on Easter and Christmas only got out of that habit, and now they're no longer coming to church on Christmas and Easter. And you could look at that and you say, oh no, bad things are happening. The world's becoming more secularized. No, it's just becoming what it actually is. And so what, what, uh, what I think is really awesome about that is now we have a real opportunity to reach people with the gospel as people are saying, you know what? I'm not gonna identify with Christianity because the truth is many of them never believed in the first place. So what we get to bring is we get to bring the truth of the gospel, which many people in the local church have never really understood. They've never really comprehended it and in, in any way, and so they come to church, forgive me if this is you, but you may have come to church thinking, you know what, I need a pick-me-up, I need something to make me feel a little bit better, I need something to make me feel like, um, like, I, like I, I can make it through next week, or whatever, give me um, a pithy statement, give me, give me something to live by, give me life coaching, that kind of a deal. What the gospel is, the gospel is not those things. You may find a statement in there uh, that, that helps you with that, but the gospel motivates us in a different way. And so when you come to Outward Church, or when you come to gospel preaching churches, which there are many in our city, and I pray with those guys, and I, I love them, but when you come to a gospel preaching church, I think what you're gonna hear is you're gonna hear something different. Now, when we began this church uh, 15 years ago, actually right before it, I was in the college ministry, and how I began preaching was I was sitting in uh, my, not office, but in, in my house. I looked up on the bookshelf, there's a bunch of books there that my dad had given me since he left the ministry. And I saw this one book, um, the, and I think the, the title of it was uh, God's Ultimate Purpose. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. It kept catching my eye until I finally looked at the book. I had never really preached before. And so I started looking at this book, and it was sermons from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I, I remember reading these, and I was like, man, God's ultimate purpose, this guy's like preaching in the 50s. Um, I mean, he, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. It's so stinking cool. And so then I get this job as a college pastor at the Nazarene Church, and I was like, I've never preached before. And so what did I do? I started reading this old guy's uh, sermons. And so I'd read like five of his sermons, and then I would try to just say everything that I remembered from his five sermons. And so my sermons were a little rough, to say the least, at the beginning. And then it went on. And so I taught through the book of Ephesians in my college ministry. And then we started the church and went on for a couple of years, maybe three years. And then I was like, you know what? I want to teach through Ephesians again. So that was a decade ago that we uh, taught through Ephesians. And Ephesians has been an amazing book of the Bible uh, for me, it's been formative for me and especially teaching through it. And I believe that it's gonna be formative for us. So today, we're beginning a new series in the book of Ephesians. It might take as long as it did for us to get through the book of Luke, but you'll be okay, I promise. Like, I, I, were we in Luke for two years? I think so, at least. Uh, we did a couple of series in the middle of that, but we walk through the Bible slowly because we're not in a hurry. 
We're not in a hurry. We just want to absorb God's word. And so that's what I, what I want to commend to you is that the book of Ephesians, I think, is going to be amazing. Here's a few things about Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, the crown and climax of Pauline theology. It is the distilled sense or essence of Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium, I've always wanted to use that word, uh, of our holy Christian faith, the purest expression of the gospel. This, this book of the Bible is really talked about in a way that's like, you know, it seems like Paul wrote this as like this treatise on this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it means. This is what, it, this is what we, we should be. This is what it looks like. It's an, it's an amazing expression of the gospel. It's broken into two parts. Those two parts are calling first and then conduct. It begins with, this is who you were called to be. This is, this is what you were called to. Now, why is that important? It's important because your calling forms your identity. Your calling forms your identity. So what's happening in the book of Ephesians throughout the first three chapters is that your identity is being formed. There's identity formation that is taking place in your life. Why do we need that? Well, because of this. Your identity is being formed one way or another. You can't help it. You watch, you watch TV, your identity is being formed. You read a tweet, your identity is being formed. You watch the news, you talk with a friend, you are in culture, you see what's happening. Your identity is being formed. And so what's happening in our world is that everyone's, as our, as our world becomes more and more shattered, individualized, fragmented, because you can do that now, because on social media you can find, you know, a hundred people that all think that like the pink elephant is your God and you're going to worship that thing. You can find whatever you want. And so our world is fragmented. There is no longer this central truth that's happening. And so here we are going through the world like, oh, is that what I'm supposed to be? Is that what, maybe I should be this over here. What's happening in Ephesians is it's drawing your eye, it's taking you down and it's saying, here is what you were designed to be. You cannot create your own identity. You cannot just out of thin air say, you know what, this is what I am. Do you know what we see in our world today? The fragmenting of our society is the downfall of that secular promise that you can be whatever you want to be. Every graduation speech mumbo jumbo that you've ever heard says the same dumb thing. You can be whatever you want to be. Well, no, you can't. All right. You want to be a major league baseball player and you're not even on a baseball team. It ain't going to happen. All right. That's, that's not true. What is true is this right here. It's your calling in Christ. But instead, what we're doing is we're kind of suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Is when, you know what Stockholm Syndrome is, uh, probably. It's when somebody identifies with their captors, begins to sympathize with somebody who's kidnapped them, something like that. They begin to believe the lies. They begin to do that. That's what's happening to us. And so what's taking place is this, is that there's massive disunity in our world. There's massive disunity in the church. It's, there's so many articles about it everywhere. People arguing about it constantly about like, why is the church fragmenting? Which side is right? It's often along political lines, those types of things. And let me just tell you, every bit of that stuff is a distraction. It's wrong. It's sinful. When we're disunified, we're in sin as a church. That's, that's plain and simple. That's what it is. Do you know what we're supposed to be unified around? The gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 9 through 10. He says, uh, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of, of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
That's, that's ultimately, this book of the Bible is all about God reconciling the world to himself and then that reconciliation overflowing into the lives of people who are Christians who believe the gospel and say, because I've been reconciled with my creator, now I can reconcile with my neighbor. I can reconcile with somebody who is the, the exact opposite of me. They have, we have nothing in common, and yet we can have the same God. There's this unity of the spirit that happens here. And so we want to focus in, we want to draw our attention to what is God doing in the world and how do I relate to that? And so he has two parts, our calling and our conduct. So then he goes to uh, chapter four, verse one, and it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he goes into, here's how you should act. He starts with, what should you believe, your calling, and then he goes to, here's how I want you to behave. Here's how, here's what your lives should look like. Here's the, the outflow, the overflow of believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of us come to the world and we come to church and just say, I'm just trying to be a better person. I'm just trying to make things a little bit better in my life. So I've decided to go to church a little bit. And the truth is this, your behavior will never change until you understand what your identity is in Christ. Your behavior will never change in reality at the soul level until you're clear on what your calling is. Your identity must be formed in Christ. I was just thinking about this, that you know when you get married, your identity completely changes. It completely changes because you used to be a single person. A lot of times the reason why marriages don't work out is because one or both of us want to remain as an individual. One or both of us want to be, I just want to be me. I want to do me. And as long as you are about me, then everything's fine. But what actually has to happen is that your identities, the two shall become one flesh. Your identity has to be formed. And a marriage that works is a marriage that begins to, their, their identities come together. You begin to find yourself in them and them in you. You begin to uh, nourish and cherish as it says in the book of Ephesians in uh, chapter five, right? Nope. Yes, yes, chapter five. <laughs> Almost forgot there for a second. In chapter five, you, like no one ever like, didn't take care of his own body. He nourishes and cherishes it, Paul says, about the wife. And what's he saying? He's saying like, you have a new identity in Christ through your marriage. Now your marriage is a, a, a symbol. It looks like your relationship with you in Christ. Your identity is founded in each other through Christ. And so there's this identity that's happening, but what's happening in the local church oftentimes is that people are having a series of one night stands with different lovers. A series of one night stands. Your identity's never formed and shaped. I just come to church because I want a good statement. I want, I want you to help me become somebody different and I just, I just need you to give me some life coaching, pastor, or I'll go online and I'll find somebody else to do that. I'm not angry about that. I know I'm talking very intensely right now, but, <laughs> uh, but that's not what God has for you. God wants you to stop dating the church and he wants you to engage in the local church. So I sent out a video to our members and one of the things that I said in there is that I want to ask you, to please make a point of being at church every single week. Just make a point of doing it. No one's gonna mark you absent. No one's gonna you know, give you a demerit or something if you miss. But I just gotta tell you, like the whole idea of like missing church and just like coming like once a month or being irregular in that sense, it totally, it totally limits you from having community at the church. It totally, it's gonna limit you in this series as you miss a piece of it because I think God's gonna do something through, through the, his word here. I mean, I, I, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but like, I, I just think it's, it is a tremendous injustice if you miss that. So I just want to encourage you through the book of Ephesians and then hopefully even beyond there that you would make a point of regularly being at church, soaking up the word of God, engaging in community, worshiping together because that is going to shape your identity. So in the book of Ephesians, I think I said everything I wanted to say here and that is, there we go, yes. We're gonna go uh, chapter one, verse one and two. That's all we're covering today. Which says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here we have the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes when we're looking at the introduction to a book, I don't know about you, when I start reading a book, I hate reading the introduction. I don't wanna read it. There's honestly a bunch of mumbo jumbo in there most of the time, and so I skip the introduction many times. You can't do that here, because we gotta understand, who is Paul? Who is Paul? He is a Jew among Jews. He is an amazing, amazing Pharisee. This guy was so religious. He was immensely religious. In fact, he was so religious that he actively wanted to kill Christians. He wanted to kill Christian people, and so he was after them, and he wanted to kill them. This guy was a seriously devout Jew. He was a little bit like what we might think of someone who is a, uh, uh, a terrorist today um, in that religion, the extreme believers and whatever it is that they believe, somebody who's actually thinking that they need to kill people who do not believe in the way that they do. That's who the apostle Paul was. But he was called. He was, he was called. He, he's, he's called to serve Jesus. It says Paul, an apostle. Now what is an apostle? An apostle is somebody who is called personally by Jesus. He was called by Jesus to serve Jesus, to be a witness to who Jesus is. So here's this guy, Paul. He is, he hates Jesus, he hates Christians who follow the way, and he is after them, he wants to kill them, and one day he's on his way to go kill more Christians, and God interrupts his life. God interrupts his life on the road to Damascus, and he basically knocks him down, turns him blind, and then calls him to serve him. In fact, it says this in Acts 26, uh, verses 15 through 18. It's, it says, the apostle Paul responds to this voice, and, he, and he, he says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus, like, all of a sudden, like, meets him on this road and says, hey, Paul, I'm Jesus, and I'm the one that you've been going after. You've not just been persecuting my people, you've been persecuting me. This is Jesus who's coming to this guy who's actually killed people. Saul was standing there holding everybody's jacket while they're stoning Stephen, the disciple, to death. And Paul's like, yeah, he's given, he's given agreement to this. Here's this guy, and Jesus calls him like that, knocks him down. Do you know what that means? You may be completely walking away from Jesus. And Jesus can knock you down and say, hey, I'm, I'm the one that you're persecuting. You got a family member that's been walking away from Jesus for a long time? He can knock you down. And he can say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. God is that good. He is that great. He is that powerful. He is that sovereign. It's a beautiful thing. He's an apostle and it says this, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Like God just like, or Jesus, I should say, just like unrolls like, here's everything I want you to do, Paul. I know that like right here in this moment, like you're totally walking away from me. I know that right here in this moment, like you don't want anything to do with me. I know that right here and right now, you don't have any interest in any of this. But here's the thing. This is what I've called you to. You're gonna be a witness for me. And I just gotta, I just gotta wonder, like what is going through Paul's mind where he's just going, oh my gosh, I didn't real, realize this guy is real. I had no idea. And so the apostle Paul begins. He's called He's an apostle. Now, we don't have apostles today. There are churches, and I, and I would say this, any church that says, that calls their leader or their preacher or anybody in that church an apostle, you need to stay away from that church because we do not have apostles today. I just wanna be real clear about that. We do not have apostles, capital A apostles. Most of the time, these guys and gals are self-appointed people. The people in scripture who are true apostles are people who have been called personally by Jesus, which the apostle Paul was. The one exception to this might be Matthias in the beginning of Acts. So if you're a Bible nerd and you knew that, or you've read the book of Acts, uh, then we could have a discussion about that, which, which I think there's two sides to that story there, but we, we, we don't need to get into that. So I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it. So there we go. I just, just thought I'd confuse you there just briefly. Uh, so it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, He's a witness to, and he is a servant of God. He is there to do the ministry of God. He's there to serve, and God is giving him special revelation to the mystery of what God is doing. And so Paul's gonna talk about that quite a bit. And then he says, by the will of God, by the will of God. So the apostle Paul, right as soon as he says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I'm not an apostle by my own will. Now, when you get into your salvation, I don't know where you are, but I know people who were atheists before they started coming to this church. And I remember talking to them and I, and I said, you know what, it's kind of controversial. Uh, when people talk about like, did God save somebody by his own sovereign power? And she said, I don't know why that's, that, that's controversial because I was an atheist, I was totally opposed to Jesus. I was totally opposed to who he is and what he does. And all of a sudden, I was like, I wanna believe God saved me. It was just like that. The apostle Paul says, not only did God save me, but God awakened me to this reality and he has sent me on a mission by his will. You'll see in other places where the apostle Paul says, I am the least of all the apostles. I am the last person who should have been called to this. But for some reason, God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. I remember in the early days of our church, when I decided to start the church, I did not feel on any level like I had any ability to lead people. I had not been to seminary, I had not been to college. I was a contractor. I built homes, I did commercial demolition. I, that's what I love, but God like put this in me and I was just like, man, what is driving me to want to start something? And it happened for about 10 years and God was just driving me and driving me. And so as I started to, uh, take steps to plant this church. I had asked a good friend of mine to come along and I said, hey, let's plant this together, which was a terrible idea. It's never a good idea to have a dual leadership uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in a local church. It needs to be one lead pastor and other guys around him that can fire him and hold him accountable and stuff like that. But there was two of us and things got a little, uh, got a little heated. It, it got difficult because we both had different ideas as to how we were gonna do things. And then it became clear that my friend was gonna leave. He was gonna leave the church 
And so I had asked him to come along because I totally felt incapable. I was like, I don't think I should lead this thing necessarily. I just think that it should be started. I think somebody should start a church like this. And so I just want to help get this thing going. And then maybe someone's going to appear out of thin air and like, it's going to be amazing. So I brought my friend along and then all this, and he's doing all the preaching and I was leading worship at the time. And, and, and then I realized, oh, he's going to go. And I remember one night, my wife and I, we were sitting there and, and I was beginning to come to the realization that the weight of this thing was gonna be on me. And I remember that prayer. It might be one of the most honest prayers I've ever had in my life because I was so scared. I was so scared. I was so scared because I was not a good preacher. I was so scared because, man, I, just, I don't think people want to follow me. I was so scared because there was just so many things about me. Like, I just did not think that I was the guy to lead this. But God had impressed on my heart, like, Matt, this must happen. And I was like, God, is, are you really talking to me? Like, are, am I hearing you right and then I realized my friend's gonna leave and my wife are sitting there and I are sitting there praying and I'm just going, Lord, if you want me to lead this, I'll do it. But man, you better come with me because I am in deep, deep trouble over this thing. Like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to handle it. And God totally came through. And so I, I stand here today, not as an apostle or anything, but I hope as a testament to you that like the only reason why I'm standing here, because there is no reason why I, sh I should be here leading in this way. There's no reason that I should even be a Christian. By the will of God, am I even saved? My home life was terrible as, as a young man, terrible. Awful. I grew up in the ministry. My parents were in the ministry. God love them. But my home life, was, I should have walked away from the faith. By the will of God, am I even saved? Am I even standing here? Am I even a part of this? The apostle Paul sees it from the very first moment. Paul, an apostle, and it is only by the will of God that I am that. Like that is an amazing thing. Now, I just wanna ask you, now, are you saved by the will of God? Has the will of God changed you? Has the will of God transformed you? Has the will of God animated you for his namesake? Or is everything that you do by your will? Because that's the graduation speech. You can do it by your will. The apostle Paul says, I didn't do anything by my will. It's by the will of God. Oh, that's gonna shape your identity. That's identity formation. Look at the next thing that he says here. By the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, and are, and, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I wanna stop right there. He just called a bunch of people in Ephesus saints, okay? Do you wanna know what's been happening in Ephesus? Do you, want, do, you wanna, do you wanna see what's been happening in Ephesus? The apostle Paul is on his way somewhere. He stops by, he finds some disciples. These are some people that are following the way. They're following Jesus. They're not just in the, the Hebrew, Israelite, uh, Jewish religion. They are disciples. And he says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I guess the answer is no, right? And he's like, okay, well, let's baptize you. He baptizes them, lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. What small, uh, small thing here, and that is that this is, a lot of people look at this and they say this is prescriptive. This is what should happen to everyone when they're baptized. Rather than it being descriptive, this is what, ha what has happened then and here when God was 
when Jesus was building his church. And so that's what happened. He baptizes them. They, uh, they, he lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. There's about 12 of them. This is in Acts chapter 19, verse 7. It says that. And then he begins to teach these guys, and then other people get upset. And so he's like, all right, let's go over to the hall of Tyrannus, and uh, I'll, I'll teach you there. And so he does that for two years. He's just teaching people. He's sitting there uh, expounding uh, the Old Testament scripture. He's expounding his teaching, the mystery that God has given to him. So he's teaching them, he's teaching them, he's teaching them in Ephesus here. This is also the place where it talks about the seven sons of Sceva, such an amazing story where there's these, these guys and their job was itinerant Jewish exorcists, all right? If you, I would love to put that as my job description. Oh, what do you do for work? Uh, I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist, actually, right? And that, that's, so that's interesting. So these seven guys, they see somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, demon-possessed, and so they're like, you know what? We are, after all, itinerant Jewish exorcists, and so let's go cast the demon out. So they go, and they try to cast this demon out, and this guy says this to them. He says, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Because these guys say, hey, yeah, uh, we want you to come out by the, the Jesus that Paul proclaims. And so he's like, I have no idea who you are. I've heard of Paul, and I've heard of Jesus, but you are nobody. And then he proceeds to beat the pants off these guys, literally. And I, I love what Matt Chandler says about this. He says, you know, like in junior high and high school, when uh, there's a fight, you'd be like, you know what, I think this guy won. No, I think he won. You know, he got this punch in like this. You know, and it's kind of unclear as to who won, because then the teachers came in, and they were like, get off each other, you know, that kind of a thing. So no one's really clear on who actually won the fight. If you go into a fight, and there's seven of you, and, the other, and, the, and it's just one other guy, and you leave the fight without pants, you lost, right? That's... that's you lost the fight. <laughs> it's just clear. I love this story. That's what happened in Ephesus. And then Paul is leading so many people to Christ. So many people. Like this thing, he's building some disciples. And then this, the, the, the disciples are making more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. And so what happens next is a riot. Like an actual riot begins to take off. And this guy named Demetrius, he's a silversmith, and he made silver shrines for the goddess Artemis or Diana, of which there was a huge shrine to Diana or Artemis, same, same deity, it's the Greek name versus the Roman name. He makes, he, th this is where this shrine is, this guy makes little idols, and so he gets the whole union together and he says, we need to create a big fuss here because there's so many people that are coming to Christ and they're throwing away their idols and now we are running out of work because no one wants idols anymore. And so they begin to shout like over and over again, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're like yelling this. Think downtown Portland in the middle of all the riots. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So then this guy Alexander gets pushed forward like, hey, you go out there. He's a disciple. He goes out there and he's like, hey guys, I, I, I want to... You know, I want to I wanna talk. And they were like, all of a sudden they realized he's Jewish. And they're like, they yelled for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They shouted them down. To the saints who are in Ephesus. Who are the saints? They're former idolaters. I'll bet you there's temple prostitutes in there. There's pagans, like straight up pagans that were just like, I have no idea who Jesus is. I don't, what, what are you talking about? What is baptism? What is going on here? There's guys who were demon possessed. There's people that just had no idea about God and the apostle Paul says to the saints in Ephesus, is Paul saying, okay, I know there's a handful of you who are really stinking good at being Christians. And so I'm gonna tell you about it and then you can you know, kind of tell the other people or, or something like that. No, he is writing to people 
that just got saved. He's not writing to unsaved people. He's talking to people that just got saved out of prostitution, out of drug use, out of wrong marriage situations, out of gender confusion, out of all kinds of things. He's talking to people that are actively trying to stop using drugs. He's talking to people that actively have desires in them that they know are contrary to what God wants and he is talking to them and he can say with certainty to the saints that are in Ephesus, men and women. Do you know what that means? It means this, if you are here and you have received Jesus Christ and said, I need Jesus. I'm a sinner in, the, in need of the grace of God. I'm looking to him and believing, as we talked about last week at Easter, look equals believe. You are a saint. It takes no special designation from the church. No one's gonna bless you. You know, no, there's no you know, sprinkling of water. We might baptize you, yes, but uh, there's, a, there's no seance. There's no nothing. You are a saint. When God looks at you, he says, because you've received my son, you are a saint. It means God likes you. He more than likes you he loves you. He loves you in a way that's different from his entire love of the world, but he has a specific and clear love for those that have believed in him. He likes you. He loves you. He has made you a saint in his eyes. There's no amount of desire, action, uh, anything like that that says you don't belong, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be a part of this. No, it's none of that. The Apostle Paul can say, I'm here as an apostle by the will of God and I'm speaking to a bunch of people that just came out of a riot, that came out of straight up paganism, that came out of craziness. But he's also talking to church members that have just gotten dead in their faith feel like they struggle, feel like they've, they've been doing this for a long time and they just, there's not a lot of growth. You're a saint. You're a saint. That's what he wants you to see and to know. And he says, the faithful in Christ Jesus, the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a bad translation. There's almost no good English translation of that word. It's to those who are full of faith. Because if I'm, if I'm honest, it's hard to be faithful. And if God's salvation for me is contingent on me being absolutely faithful, then I'm absolutely in trouble. It is those who are full of faith in the reality of this, that I am a saint right here as I stand, no matter how transformed I am, no matter how transformed I am not. He calls me saint. He calls you a saint if you've believed in him, and he's calling you to himself. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is not correcting any major errors in this book. It seems like it was a circuit letter. Some of the most, the earliest translations or uh, writings of the book of Ephesians have a, a gap right where it says to the saints in Ephesus. And it seems like they had sketched in there at different times, different names of different churches. It sounds like it was a, a letter to a group of churches in a particular area. And so it was changed like that. What that also means is this, 
is that he's saying to them, God's grace and peace are upon you. And I want to tell you about that. I want to tell you about that. And it's not just for the church in Ephesus, but it's to the church in Salem, to the saints who are in Salem, to the saints who are in Silverton, to the saints who are in every other part of the world. God is after you. He wants to see your identity shaped in his grace and his peace that he has for you. Stop being shaped and formed by the world and plug into what he has for you and for I. And I would encourage you in this. If you, if you want to follow along with us, and I, just, I would encourage you to do this. Don't cruise through this. Read it over and over and over again as we get ready for next week where we'll go through a couple more verses and a couple more verses and a couple more verses and it's gonna be beautiful. Men and women that have believed in Jesus Christ, you are saints in Christ Jesus. Can we go to the Lord's table? So this morning, would you bow your heads with me? It is through his cross that he has made you a saint. And he just wants you to remember that. Would you take a, a moment and just confess confess the stuff that you know that you have recognize that the, that's a need that you have that Jesus fulfilled on the cross 2,000 years ago and Jesus says this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's partake of the body This is his blood that was shed for you and for me. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy that have caused us to be saints in you. Thank you for what you're going to teach us through this series. It's in your name we pray. Amen.